Before you listen to this great episode of Partner with Survivor, we'd just like to tell you about a powerful new practice tool the Safe and Together Institute has launched. Our perpetrator pattern mapping tool has been available for 10 years, but now it's available for the first time in a web-based version. What it does is really help you map perpetrators' patterns of behavior onto child family functioning, talk about its intersections with mental health, substance abuse, and other issues, address intersectionalities, worker safety, all in an easy-to-use online package that protects the confidentiality of your information and lets you wrap it all up in a neat little package, basically, to print it out and to kind of document all those different pieces of information. This is a tool that can be used by both survivors and practitioners. And for the very first time, it's available immediately online without any other prior training. The training is embedded in this powerful practice tool so that teams uh, that have not been trained in Safe and Together can immediately begin mapping in an effective way. That's right. It's like having a safe and together coat in your back pocket is what I like to say. There you go. So we really encourage you to go to our virtual academy, academy.safetytotherinstitute.com. Check it out. You know, you can subscribe to it immediately or you can check out a free demo version for 30 days. So please reach out to us and try this new tool. Now enjoy this great episode of Partner with Survivor. All right. Are so we starting? Yeah, we're starting. Okay. So we're trying to come up with a a way to introduce our our um, our blog. Partnering with a survivor. Partnering with a survivor. Because, you know, David took his commitment to partnering with survivors pretty far. <laughs> and actually married one who, you know, we talk about survivorship and uh, abuse and domestic violence and domestic abuse and coercive control and masculinity and femininity and relationship and consent and kids all the time all the time all the time constantly we're constantly talking right i think that's your brooklyn i i like talking i'm you know this is what i do for a living you you love talking i like talking i like words but it's more than you like talking it's that you have this need to work things out through through modeling them in language, through talking them through with other people right. and hearing yourself, your own ideas. Well, and I'm similar because I grew up in a commune with 55 right. other people. So talking was something that people did a lot. Right. And as an extrovert, it, it, talking things through really does help me clarify ideas and and listening to people is very important. So this this idea of this podcast of us talking is is near and dear to both of us. See, I got it wrong. I called it a blog. The kids would make fun of me. Endless well, fun of me. Because you called it a blog? Because I called it a blog. Yes. yes. Okay, it's a podcast. It's a podcast. So this morning we were talking about consent, but consent not as a concept just of sex and the consent to give somebody something, but the interrelational aspects of consent as an ongoing relationship and how we can both forget that that's an aspect to relationship, but we can also do damage to it um, in many different ways. And And the reason I was thinking of it is I've been following the, uh, the rape case in, um, in Cyprus and the blurred lines between a woman consenting to a sexual interaction and then that leading into forced you know, coerced sexual interactions 
is becoming more and more uh, clear in many parts of the world to people. You know, in the UK, obviously, people understand that she did not consent to those further sexual contacts. But the judges and the lawyers in Cyprus who made their case around her um, argued her initial consent equaled ongoing consent. And to me, this is really important, having lived in course of control in a commune where the belief actually was that, number one, just on the sexual side, that women could not say no to their husbands um, in having sex. I know it seems very, um, uh, very, very outdated to most people, but a lot of people still live in those type of relationships in this world. Well, and even in the U.S., um, until relatively recently, was still um, marital rape wasn't outlawed, right. you know, in many states until the last few decades, and so that's you know not it's not that outmoded, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, but also just the the sense of understanding consent and relationship that once, and this goes to the bottom of understanding course of control as a way uh, that people's consent is broken, not just sexually, but consent towards other actions. And that is, is that if once you're threatened, once somebody tells you that you must do something because X, Y, Z will happen as a result of not that not being done, or you must do something because I'm going to commit suicide or kill myself if right. you don't. Right. Um, or you must do something because if you don't, our social circles will be devastated and judge you and you're, you're a person who is knocking the system of how we do things in this particular social system or context. That once that no is no longer comfortable, even in the context of I've made an agreement with you that we're married, but at any point in time, in order for the power dynamics of the relationship to be in, stable and for me to be a person who is autonomous and safe and for you to be a person who's autonomous and safe, that we have to have the right to say no, even if it's an action that we did before that we consented to, in other words. And that oftentimes we sort of thoughtless, thoughtlessly throw ourselves into interactions because we have been trained by society to believe that when we have consented to something once, right. that we've consented to the whole bucket of things that come along with it. Right, and I think that's, you know, when going back to your point about sex in the context of, of an abusive relationship or course of control, um, that the one of the big problems I would always see with the cycle of violence model, which which suggested that there was sort of a tension-building build period and then an explosion and then a honeymoon period and then it would repeat again was that um, the implication that somehow the um, dynamic created by the violence and the course of control was somehow missing in this idea of a quote-unquote honeymoon period that somehow right. that 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 you could to return to a, a previous state uh, a honeymoon, you know, which is carries that term carries all sorts of cultural baggage, you know, sort mm -hmm. of sweetness and and the beginning of relationship and mm -hmm. good times and 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 um, you know it might feel better, it might 
have less overt stress in it than obviously a, a, a period of, of violence or, or a period leading up to to violence. But it really, really leaves perpetrator accountability off the table because in that period they've still instilled uh, uh, coercion and threats and an atmosphere of violation mm-hmm. and potential violation. And so make-up sex in that context, again, really sort of assuming that um, this concept of you can have make-up sex between two equal people post-abuse, post-violence is just is a continuation of the of the mental manipulation by by a perpetrator, but also a cultural idea that somehow um, these things can be disconnected and that there's no relationship between the two things. Yeah, I mean, I I I think fundamentally we're we're we really want to be linear people, and we we like to say, oh, you consented to this once, and so this is okay. This is a known factor, and I get to do this over and over and over again. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, like we're a little yeah. bit simplistic that way right. as human beings. It takes far more work and far more reflection to to understand that that consent is dynamic and that it's not. It's not predicated upon one agreement at one mm-hmm. time and that it can be a very fluid thing. And I think that legally, in the legal system, um, that the notion of female consent, particularly interrupting something where something was agreed to mm-hmm. and then there's a, a hard stop, there's a hard no. Mm-hmm. And this is this is true of sex or anything. Mm-hmm. This doesn't have to just be about sex. And that's, I think, the thing that I'm... I'm most concerned about is is that people aren't really carrying over this sense of consent into understanding how to understand uh, coercive control right. and power dynamics right. because because it has to be embedded in our understanding of um, how to look at coercive control from a pattern based behavioral based uh, aspect because if not it's decontextualized. Mm-hmm. Because then the perpetrator says, well, she consented to this right. at one point in time. Right. And, and I'm, I'm looking at how um, Harvey Weinstein's lawyer is, is framing um, the friendly emails between him and his victims mm-hmm. as being a form of consent, mm-hmm. which makes me just crazy inside because the reality is is that when you're living in a situation with somebody who is very powerful – and this is from my, my own experience, mm-hmm. living as a child in severe abuse. Mm-hmm. When you have somebody who has control of the directionality of your world, um, you try to make them happy. And that is just a survival tactic. And actually, it's a really freaking smart survival right. tactic. Sure. You have to make yourself safe. Safety is the main priority. And so keeping the perpetrator happy in that situation is not a sign of consent. Right. And it I is d- not. It is a sign of self-protection. Right. When you bring it into the context of this person threatened me right. and they have this power over me. Right. And they can destroy me financially or they can destroy me physically or they can destroy me emotionally or they can destroy my reputation. They have now tipped the balance of consent completely. That Consent is no longer a factor. All the balance of power is in their hands. And so this notion of friendly contact or of victims 
even quote unquote air quotes consenting to live in an abusive relationship you can't actually consent to live in an abusive relationship you can choose certain behaviors which keep you there because probably you actually believe that it's going to keep you safe in the end there's some sense of safety that you're trying to establish and well and it's and it's it's even you know I want to recognize that whether it's somebody abusive relationship that they're not only trying to appease uh, somebody who may be perpetrator out of out of a sense of, of safety, physical emotional safety, but that they're they're still trying to achieve other ends mm-hmm. from themselves and their kids, whether it's move forward in a career or get their kids to go to school. Right, and so it's actually even beyond sort of. Um, managing the system with a situation, trying to kind of placate somebody to get um, to get safety. It's actually to get other goals achieved as well. Mm-hmm. And and with the case of Harvey Weinstein, you know that these women wanted their careers to grow and blossom, and that mm-hmm. he, you know, either was a gateway or or the gateway. Or he was in control. He was in control. That. That's right. And in mm-hmm. some cases, it was clear that legally he was in control of. Uh, of some of the ways their films were edited or or what happened in mm-hmm. in, in terms of their performances and so you know that you we have to be cognizant that what's at stake is not just safety mm-hmm. which would be important enough in itself but but in, in some sense it's also these these deeper life goals i mean if you think about um affluent women who stay in abusive relationships because they see that their kids will lose all the things or mm-hmm. afraid that they're going to lose all the things that, that they want them to have that they right. they by right in some sense or should have access to mm-hmm. by being a child of, of this them as a couple or her partner as a somebody who's got money. And then she says, if I leave, they're going to lose all these things because he's going to use it against me as a tool. Right, they're going to suffer. They're going to suffer. And, suffer. And so right. that's not... We could frame that as safety, but if we don't include these other pieces about aspirations of dreams being met or mm-hmm. goals for children, I think we're missing something really important. You do. Do you remember when we went to to my nephew's wedding and we were up on the bar, the rooftop bar, and there was a, a guy badgering the the, mm-hmm. um, the bartender, mm-hmm. yeah. and he said, "If if you don't go out with me, I'm going to jump off the roof." Mm-hmm. And then I turned it turned to her mm-hmm. and said very loudly, that's something that people who are going to abuse you say mm-hmm. because he's just mm-hmm. basically coerced you into mm-hmm. a relationship. And I, I, I feel like, you know, there's, there's so many layers mm-hmm. of people not really getting what consent looks like in regard mm-hmm. to who holds the power right. in the relationship. Right. Um, and not contextualizing right. it because it's very, very easy, particularly people who are really prone to victim blaming, mm-hmm. right, to say, well, she's a she's a fucking idiot if she went out with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he showed his cards from right. the very beginning. Right. But at the same time, what we don't take into consideration is the reality that 
that people who love to hold the power dynamics and love to hold all the control in their mm-hmm. camp um, in order to make other people do what they want them to do um, are, number one, very good at doing that in, in many different mm-hmm. subtle ways, which mm-hmm. can mimic uh, love. But mm-hmm. the other piece of that is is that truly... Um, at least in my own experience of myself and, and why I get so angry when people victim blame is that there is a level of care and empathy in mm-hmm. us that is just basic mm-hmm. to most humans, maybe right. not all right. humans, but to right. many, many humans and that we don't want to see other people suffer. Mm-hmm. And, and in that sort of narcissistic place where somebody is going to take all the power and mm-hmm. they're going to control the situation and they're going to coerce you mm-hmm. into doing what they want they very much are able to use that sense of um, you need to do something because it's good for me. Right, right. Do something because it's good for me. Right. Well, and even that, that circumstance, which you bravely, you sort of, uh, I admire oh, that scared. so much. Oh, I admire that so much, you yeah. know, and, you know, you said that to her and, and uh, you know, and then we called, you called the hotel security right, and let right. them know because they really needed to back her up more. Yeah. And, um but that it's 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 the mind games of it because I doubt she really believed he would throw himself off the roof, right. and so it, it it falls into this realm of psychological kind of subtle psychological pressure that is presented even as a joke, right? You know, and and also is you know conveys the sense can can be perceived I you know this is how much I want to do this right I want to go out with you and and it's got all these things wrapped in there and we're not I think we're not um equipping and I don't want to say this is what's important I don't think the job is to equip women or girls with this because I think it's really equipping the conversation and uh, clearly making sure the boys don't don't do this or anybody doesn't do this but really that that we really kind of understand this what where we start with this what consent is mm-hmm. and and I think it's not just at the the language level of words it's the level of energy yeah it's actionable yeah, and it's, I think yeah, that that's that's right it's actionable and I think that that's very difficult I mean every day I mean this is the reality so you sit your kids down and you say you gotta eat your you gotta eat your dinner, right. kid. You right. gotta eat your dinner. All right. So now we're already we're already swimming in the waters of consent and the questions of how you form children and model to them. Right. What's what is what is their autonomy and what's their personal power and what's right. not? You know. And we've had debates about this before, right. where there's people far on the end of the spectrum of I'm not going to make my child eat anything they don't want. Right. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Well, is that yeah. okay? And then there's and then there's the people who sit their kid down. Oh, and I'm like cringing inside because I know these people and I grew up with them and I lived with them. Right. And and they they force you to eat until you throw up. Right. And then they make you eat your throw up. I mean, this is very graphic, right. but it's true. Yeah, it's right. You know, and right. it's it's no longer. I think the the key is is that there's a place where it crosses over. Right. It is actually no longer about the well being of the person that you're dealing with. Right. You're not making that child eat right. that food because it's good for them. Right. That's not true anymore. Right. You've you've crossed over into right. this is now a power struggle. Right. And I'm gonna win. Right. And and I think there's I. I when I think about this, I think about 
about two two important things. One is that uh, why all this is about culture and politics and, and political definitions in, in the broadest sense, which is that that has to do with legitimate and and what is considered legitimate authority and legitimate boundaries by the culture. How far I can go is defined in part by what the culture says is appropriate. And that's why, why as flawed as they are in many ways, the <coughs> the mandatory arrest and probable cause arrest from domestic violence were groundbreaking because they, they redefine the boundaries, why it's important to outlaw marital rape, why it's important to outlaw coercive control. Mm-hmm. As flawed as their application is, their statements of, 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 of public understandings and the social responses and I think that is that is critical and then yeah. and then the second part is really understanding that um, that these things happen on a continuum mm-hmm. and that's why when you said earlier the pattern based approach is so important because right. if 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 somebody in a relationship raises their voice once and 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 it doesn't include put downs and doesn't include threats and doesn't include attacks in somebody's character and doesn't doesn't mm-hmm. include um, gestures of intimidation, you know, that's probably not going to have a major impact on the power dynamics in the relationship. Right. But if somebody says to somebody quietly, you know, if you leave me, you're not going to get a penny for the kids. You're not going to get anything from me. You're going to be out on the street. You're going to be homeless. And you know I can mm-hmm. do that and you know I will. Mm-hmm. Then that may kick into to, into a relationship of power dynamic around control, mm-hmm. and so to me it was always I would do these exercises and I'd say to people, "What's the line between normal dysfunction in a relationship and abuse?" Right. And you'd have people explore it, and I think it's it, that kind of conversation is so critical because sitting at the, mm-hmm. your example of a kid at the the table is. There, you know, there's a responsibility of parents to feed their kids, right? And to take care legally to take care of their basic needs, right? So you got that on one hand, mm-hmm. and to teach them and to guide them mm-hmm. and to create structure in a family. You know, I think it's really interesting to me the, the this conversation that I didn't really have in person with somebody, but um, just there was a discussion around. Uh, somebody who's considered, you know, like a spiritual guru. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had had their, their, their girlfriend had written an article about how this person was abusive mm-hmm. and coercively controlling mm-hmm. and sexually manipulative. And then this conversation arose between me and this other person. And this other person was defending him. And she said, well, I wouldn't want people to know what some of my worst behaviors in relationship. And I think that this is really, really interesting mm-hmm. because I think that this is where this is where we're able to tell ourselves a story mm-hmm. that we have just as bad behaviors as people who are habitually and contextually coercively controlling mm-hmm. and abusive. That us losing our temper, mm-hmm. us yelling at our kids, mm-hmm. us losing our cool and saying things that mm-hmm. we regret um, is dabbling in that energy mm-hmm. of abuse and therefore what right do we have to judge anybody else and mm-hmm. it's it really creates this blind for abusers mm-hmm. to operate in the dark under the guise of relationship mm-hmm. issues oh we're just having relationship issues right rather than right. than being able to fully contextualize it and say 
well, let's look at the patterns right. of the behaviors. Right. Let's look at the power dynamics of the of this. You know, no, you know, I'm a mom. Mm-hmm. I have three kids. You're you you're co-parent with me. We both know the places where you know the kids are are just being real jerks, and we yell at them, right? right. <laughs> and and this is human. This is human nature, and it's mm-hmm. it's human either failing or it's mm-hmm. just human interaction. Mm-hmm. You know, but. At the same time, understanding what makes the power dynamic shift in one direction or the other, and when it also when it's being intentionally shifted mm-hmm. for the benefit of one of the parties, right. habitually, right. in right. order to make them right. more comfortable, them more right. this, them more serviced, right. them more whatever, then that's the the big the big right. dividing line, and we haven't gotten really good at discussing that well, dividing I, line. Well, I think, I think there are things that can help us really do that, which is, I think, severity of behaviors. You know, I think the more severe the behaviors are, you know, and the obvious ones are use of weapons or attempted strangulation or physical assaults. On the very far end, yeah. On the very far the very end, far but far just end. sort of, just to be clear about severity, what right. I'm talking about with severity um, or severity of emotional threats. You know, I'm going to out some really some secret that you shared with me in confidence right. Right. that these severe violations, and I guess maybe it, you, it, the good way to think about it is severity of violations because I think it includes emotional violation. Right. It includes, physical. It includes the violations but, of right. you are too stupid to live right. on your own that's and therefore right. you need me to take that, care that's of That's a you. violation of somebody's right. spirit. So I think it, I, I've never really thought about that way, but... But to think of it as severity of the violation is is one thing. The mm-hmm. the second thing is is chronicity. How often does it happen? And right. and these things you know, interact with each other. So so it's easy to see, you know, that things that happen more regularly are going to have more severe impact. Mm-hmm. You know, and on some levels, some of the s- severe violations and by the nature of violations, they can just need to happen only once. To right. have severe impact. Right, because they're so severe. And then the other way I think about it is 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 um is domains of functioning that kind of get attacked. You know, that that in some places that it abuse gets focused on very specific areas. And I'm not saying that's okay. Right. But people have a lot more room to maneuver in other areas and, and take care of themselves and nurture themselves, whether through employment or through friends or through connections with family, mm-hmm. or doing the things that they enjoy, but that we can we can see that if if somebody who's being abusive, it, the 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 violations may not appear as big, but they're happening all the time, and right. they're in they're intensely uh, you know intimate, whether it's sexual abuse. Or it's you can't use water this way. Right. Or I'm going to take the door off your your bedroom. Right. And that that line. So that's the you removal know. of freedoms. Right. Which which we have a really hard time right. in the United States understanding coercive right. control. We're still locked. Right. In the sense of women and children and victims need to be battered. Right. Before they can really right. be a, um, you know, acknowledged. Right by the legal system in a substantial way. Right. And even then, maybe not even in a substantial way, as we all know. But I think that that's the piece right there, and that is understanding the reality that coercive control has so many different drips, Mm -hmm. so many different types of Mm -hmm. intensity and severity, and that it's a removal 
of the liberties of the person, mm-hmm. really. It's not what's right. happening. It's what's right. not. It's what's being taken right. away. That's right. It's what's, and that's right. very difficult right. for some for right. humans to be able to wrap their minds around right. in the way that we've been trained. Right. I think Luke. You know, when we've seen Luke. Luke Hart, Hart speak yeah. about this. He'll talk about what was taken away. Right. And it's harder to see what's taken away, right. I think, in some ways. And you really need to frame this through Evan Stark in his, his, his book, Coercive Control, talks about domestic violence being a coercive control, being a, a crime of liberty and a right. human rights crime. And right. I think it's, again, you're right, I think it's a language that isn't really strongly developed in the United States. It's, it's, it's better developed in other places, I think, you know where they're using a framework around the the rights of women, the rights of children. They're right. using much more of a, a a UN human rights perspective to frame some of these issues. But in the U.S., it's not strongly developed, and and I think it's it's right. it's really critical. And we, I would always talk for years about that domestic violence perpetrators target safety, self determination, and satisfaction. That was an attempt right. to. To use an alliteration that 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 people remember, right? And and for me, it was you know sort of really if if it's useful in the U.S. context, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is a phrase that every kid mm-hmm. learns as they learned about the founding of the United States. Life, mm-hmm. liberty. So life is safety, liberty is self determination. Mm-hmm. And and pursuit of happiness is is about satisfaction, mm-hmm. and so in some ways it's really useful to think about domestic violence as, as really targeting what is thought about as these inalienable rights mm-hmm. that human beings have. And I think it's 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 if we're going to keep putting what is still considered in many ways a personal or private matter, unfortunately, after all these years of a- activism into a public sphere and a public conversation, right. we. We want all of these connections that people can can make or understand or hang their understanding on, and mm-hmm. really um, that it's it's attacking life, liberty, and pursuit of, of happiness right. through certain sets of uh, patterns of behavior. Well, it, and this is a big topic to bring up at twenty eight minutes and thirty five seconds because I think we should end at thirty minutes. But I do believe that the way that we habituate boys and we habituate uh, populations towards the versions of masculinity that we have actually have a profound impact on the on the fundamental groundwork of consent already being damaged in so many ways um, because of the way that we've been uh, trained that masculinity is domination is ownership right. is the right to right is getting is getting is getting mm-hmm. you know taking more and taking right. more um and really not focusing on men as being nurturing right um men as being uh collaborators right, right. with women right. as men as being uh co-creative in right. the sense of co-creating these social structures of the family uh, with women, right. and so this has really done damage to the groundwork of consent because underneath that paradigm, you simply cannot move forward with consent because all the power is in one direction. It is one directional. Yeah, and it's that maybe this should be a teaser for our next podcast oh, because that's a should. long conversation sure. about about um, men and 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 understandings of power, and and that has to be framed also around intersectionalities and. 
Yeah. You know, it can't be looked at from one perspective. Right. And, um, and, and so I think it's, it's a, and also this is a long conversation about sort of, um, what's inherent and what's not and what's social and what's learned what's learned and right. so i'm i'm gonna suggest we, we so we're we just gonna the, we're gonna end another future podcast <laughs> with this with this with this point we're gonna and end with a teaser of addressing masculinity in in all of its various forms in a future that's a really small order i think but i think we can do it in half an hour I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we may need two podcasts. We for may it. need. All right. I love you. <laughs> I'm happy you're a good man. <laughs>